Reggae Uprising podcast family and welcome to another episode. Now if you are fresh and new to Reggae Uprising podcast it is all about connecting people of the African diaspora through wisdom, overstanding, inspirational stories all backed by a soundtrack of sweet reggae music. So each and every Wednesday we feature a new guest who shares their journey, their stories alongside seven reggae selections. Don't get me wrong, sometimes we like to switch up the format a little bit to keep you on your toes. So already in 2022, we have shone a spotlight on artists in January featuring the works of Atachi, Empress J, the mighty Howard and young Muta. Then in February, we celebrated Bob Marley's 7-7 Earthstrong, dedicating two episodes, which was quickly followed by a two-part Inspiration Nation, which featured works of brothers and sisters, their words of inspirations, their works, their insights, in order to propel you on your own journey. So to give you that booster in February. I know you really, really enjoy that Inspiration Nation part one and part two. And then in March, we had uh, Life and Times of COVID. So what we did as in the UK, March marked the month where lockdown started in the UK. Um, So we wanted to feature a moment in time. So the experiences of brothers and sisters around the world. Obviously, we can't feature every country, but we featured the countries. We featured the UK, we featured the USA, we featured Jamaica and we featured Ethiopia. So brothers and sisters shared their experiences over the past two years, what it was like for them as individuals and what it was like for our communities in those different countries and what straight from their mouth so it wasn't you know it's not a news story it's not heard second or third or fourth hand it's straight from them their true life experiences and then last month we had our Black Panther series in which we featured the words the speeches the interviews and the news reports of Huey P. Newton, Bob Seal. Fred Hampton and Angela Davis. So if you are new to Reggae Uprising podcast, you have quite a bit to get through. And that is just from this year, because at the end of 2021, we celebrated our 100th episode. So if you're ever having a day where you're feeling your energy's feeling low, you have plenty of episodes to reach for, to inspire you, empower you and get you back on those high vibrations, get you on the right frequency. Yeah. If you would like to make sure and you haven't already subscribed, you want to make sure that you're never the last to hear of a fresh new episode. Please subscribe wherever you're listening to Reggae Uprising podcast. Alternatively, you can also go to daniel.co.uk. So that's D-A-N-I-E-A-L.co.uk. The link is also in the description of this episode as well. But you can find all Reggae Uprising podcast episodes there. As well as that, you can find 
all of my original musical works because as well as being the host of Reggae Uprising podcast, I am also a singer-songwriter of conscious soul reggae music. So you can find all of my music videos. You can find all of my music. You can also find out my latest performance dates and you can subscribe there as well. So you will also get all of the latest updates with the podcast and with myself. And you can also find also all of my social media there as well. Right, this week we are back to our regular formula. Yeah, so we're going to have our seven reggae selections for you. We're going to have our special guest on the show speaking about his journey and his works. But first, we are going to hear his first selection, which is Ijaman Heavy Load. is owner of I Never Knew TV, host of I Never Knew Radio and co-host of the Bald Head and the Dread podcast. I would like to welcome this week's guest, Junior. Greetings and welcome. How's everything? I'm good, thank you. How are you? Everything's good. I just want to say I truly appreciate you having me here on your show. Thank you so much for sharing your time because I know that you're very busy. We can tell that from all of the work that you're constantly putting out. So we really appreciate your precious time and sharing it with all of us as part of Reggae Uprising podcast. Um, now, we just heard your first selection that you chose. We just heard Ijaman Heavy Load. Can you tell us why you chose that first selection? Um, I, <laughs> that's funny, right? Um, I Jermaine Lee by Henry Lowe. The reason that selection has is very, very dear to me because one, his story, he's a person there, um, kind of, he started citing up Rastafari after incarceration. So he's a person that actually went through kind of a rebirth in itself. And I just feel the conviction in the song uh, when he sings, both in the lyrics and in the melody and everything, you know, so it kind of, you know, some songs you feel the essence of the person through the music, and those are one of those songs that really t- uh, touched me. Like, he on the spiritual heights when he made that too. You know, plus he has uh, great musicians that backed him on it. 
it's a rare album. People don't know about it, you know. But um, this is definitely a reggae classic there. So as Reggae Uprising podcast is all about connecting people of the African diaspora, please can you share with our listeners your heritage? All right. My parents are, are Jamaican, right? But I'm first generation born in America. I was born in New Jersey. So I was raised in a place called East Orange. Next, born in North, raised in East Orange. But I grew up in a very much Jamaican household. And um, <clears throat> I was fortunate enough through my father's record collection too. That's where I got my early exposure to uh, record music and been in love with it ever since. So tell us a little bit more about that. Like what what were the, the favorite tunes on heavy rotation in your household? Um, well, my parents used to listen to dance, so I'll tell you the truth. That time it was like Jammies and like Super Cat, Nicodemus, Burra Banton. Um, but I more gravitated toward the reggae. I remember specifically at um, Bob Marley Rasta excuse me, Bob Marley Rasta Vibration, album I used to listen to all the time. He had a Burning Spirit album, Man in the Hills, I used to listen to all the time. Um, I think it was like D. Brown Visions. I was just intrigued by the covers. That time it was a lot of artwork. They had the lyrics on the cover. Um, just the whole experience with a vibe, you know. So I was more on the reggae side. My parents were more definitely on the lovers rock and dance all side. Can you tell us more about your parents' experiences, what they told you about their journey moving from Jamaica to the US? What did they share with you about that? At a younger age, it was more my grandmother that used to tell me about Jamaica, specifically the Maroons, with direct bloodline with Maroons there. So Granny used to kind of give me that history. Um, and it wasn't until I was older, I guess more when I started asking, but they never really spoke much about like, <clears throat> their youthful days as Jamaica when I was a youth. Um, I, I was fortunate enough to spend a lot of time in Jamaica, specifically in Ensom City, uh, a Spanish town, a place called Ensom City. Chronic from there, Luton Fayal from there. But, um, so I was able to get a first-hand experience of, not a, a tourist experience in Jamaica, but actually Jamaica, Jamaica. More city vibe, but it was, it was pretty cool. So what were you made aware of in terms of your connection with the Maroons? Um, uh, Mr. Gordon, he was a chief Maroon. Uh, he died blind, but um, he was a chief Maroon. Um, my grandmother's father, not her mother, but my my, my uh, great-grandfather's side, they were all uh, bloodline Maroons. Um, just teach you about the history, the experience with the British, um, the characteristics of it. She always say, I like, you know, you got militancy in your bloodline. And um, you know, little stories, little uh, Nancy stories and Nanny stories and all that. So I kind of got, she's the one that used to really expose me to history lessons, what Jamaica was like uh, prior to independence, <laughs> the transition of Jamaican culture, um, the the, the kind of, it was more uh, family oriented and a neighborhood vibe, you know, less crime and more love amongst each other and just a different, like, the Jamaica now is not the Jamaica my grandmother grew up in or the one she told me about. You know, it was a, a totally different experience. So that's what she, she, she used to tell me about, tell you the truth. So did she make you aware of any of the maroon traditions? And obviously you're saying that she told you like the stories, her experiences in Jamaica. Is that something that you learned in terms of, like I said, the maroon traditions from her or was it when you went back to Jamaica yourself? 
No, the more room, the the deeper understanding room is more when I got older and I started looking at things uh, more for myself. But um, no, she never like broke down specific things like that. Okay, so what did you become aware of when you made that journey? <sighs> um, just the lineage, the greatness of it. Um, how they were able to uh, maintain certain African practices and, and intertwine it into, I guess you want to say, a new culture they had to adopt when they came to this side. Um, uh, their mastery of uh, herbal medicine in the bushes, um, their mastery of military tactics, uh, the, the use of language they were able to maintain. Um, just many little, you know, little, little things you learn when you there read. Unfortunately for us, we've been able to interview a lot of people about Maroon culture, so I learned even more from that. I suggest Hilliard, the Maroon within us. Um, it's just a collection of essays that just kind of breaks down um, the whole like uh, community-based economics, educational, spiritual, political. Because people don't understand within these uh, <coughs> within these these groups, they do have their own um, political system, like governance amongst each other. They have their own means of doing economics, whether it's trading with outside people, trading amongst each other. Um, and like history doesn't do a good job of highlighting these things, especially when it's written from a European perspective. You know how to think, or it's like, especially for somebody that was um, fighting against the system, they always present them as a person of low intellect like a barbarian sense but these people were very uh very developed and they had a very tight uh system an efficient system and it had to be in order to fight so long to have resistance so long you know in a colonial country because you got to figure you're coming from you've been displaced you've been able to maintain certain aspects of your traditional culture or your indigenous culture for hundreds of years and at the same time you've been able to uh fight with a, 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 a country with a, a big, bigger military than yours and your mastery of the terrain, you were able to utilize that to kind of, you know, outwit them and trick them. So. Well, thank you for sharing those works with us. I'm sure everybody will be clicking away trying to find a copy of that book, most definitely. Um, we want to go back um, for a moment from Jamaica to the US, though. And could you share with us um, the, the work that your parents were able to have access to when they first came over um, from Jamaica and what their first experiences? I know you said that they didn't speak too much about it in your childhood, but did they speak about it later on? Like what was like, was it a culture shock for them? Did they just blend in? What were their experiences of, of moving from Jamaica to the US in terms of work, in terms of, you know, finding housing, in terms of the people? Well, truthfully, my mother, when she came, it's like not necessarily domestic work. I don't know if it's watching elderly people or watching kids. It was one, it was in that realm, though. It is domestic work still, but I'm not sure if she was dealing with elderly people or kids. My pops had an uncle up here that was already established doing something, so he went to work for him, and he had family here already, so when he came in, he just kind of slowed down with them, built up his thing, and moved out, so they didn't have, like, no suffering story when they came up here, and, and when my mother came up here, she came over her mother, so they were both working and living together, so they never came up here and was, like, kind of just idle on their own, or, you know, they had a, a nice support system when they came up here. Mm. 
and I'm taking it that um, as is the as is the norm that obviously they bought a lot of the dishes from home to the US. Are there any particular dishes that used to be cooked in your household that like whenever you smell them now you're like mmm that reminds me of home or it's like that nostalgia. What are your favourite home cooked dishes? Well, <laughs> all the stuff like man, I didn't really start eating like uh, certain American foods till I went to college. Outside of like some basic fast food, but you know, your um, your different, your, your fried fish, your curry, your rice and peas, your corned beef. That was a big thing on Sunday. Corned beef in the can, the little can there. Corned beef and um, cabbage and fried dumplings and fried plants. Uh, I was a hardo bread king. I was, I was eating too much bread, I guess. At a young age, but my man, I used to love hardo bread. You know? I used to eat toasted hardo bread all the time. Um, yeah, just those things. A lot of a lot of uh, curry chicken. Like I make curry now. I don't eat meat anymore. But like I stew curry like chickpeas. So that's probably why I love curry so much. But a lot of curry, you know, a lot of curry going on. A lot of curry. <laughs> so. Love that, love that, love that. I think it's about time, though. We got some more music squeezed in. And your next selection is False Ruler. Can you tell us why you chose that selection? <sighs> that tune, first of all, Cool Roots, that they're, um, they're a group there that made an album for Channel One, right? Um, what, what, is it Earth? No it's, no, it's Earth and Stone, the album called Cool Roots. Earth and, the group called Earth and Stone, the album called Cool Roots. And, um, yeah, it's like, it's one of the greatest albums of all time, but never got no, like, promotion and all that was recorded at Channel One. And they tell you, false rulers, <laughs> rulers of the world have to get a beat because, like, all these rulers there are self-appointed, but they act like God, you know? So I just think that's a song that really captured the essence of leadership on Earth right now, or from, from those times where it's like, um, people have a God head to them, but it's just man, you know? And they just deal with things in a way that's detrimental to mankind, unfortunately, when they're in a leadership role. So it's kind of, you know, how much respect should you have for a leader, in a sense, especially if they're not actually leading the people in a beneficial way. Here we go with false ruler. False rulers of the world, them have been get a False rulers of the world.
can you tell us a little bit more about your childhood? What it was like growing up in the US? What were your experiences of school? What did you like at school? What didn't you like? The kind of any hobbies, um, interests? Tell us a little bit more about your childhood. Um, I don't know. It's different now. Obviously, with no, <laughs> obviously with no cell phone. So, I'm um, just like a lot of playing. Uh, neighborhood playing. I played basketball, which I played my whole life. I played college basketball. So, like, I guess around, you figure, around sixth grade, that took up most of my time. I, like, played basketball all day. Uh, um, that's pretty much it. Like, outside of just basic child stuff, I just, my whole childhood was, like, playing basketball. And once I got to, like, eighth grade, that's all I did because I was trying to get a scholarship for college. So, all I did was play basketball to the and in terms of your experiences at school, like you said, you played basketball and all of that. Did you ever experience any kind of adversities? Were there any kind of um, roadblocks put in your way at any point? Or was it all smooth sailing? Um, roadblocks. I don't see nothing unique outside of just life in a sense. Like, you know, basic uh, adversity. But I never had no big traumatic experience to that. Uh, or maybe I don't view it like that. I don't know. It's just like, um, you know, your little, your little altercations here and there, your little setbacks. But I, I was just like trying to, I just want to play college basketball. That was my dream. So all I did was like work out and play different tournaments and play on teams. So that was like my main focus during that period of my life. So tell us a little bit more about basketball and where that whole world took you in your life. Um, well, for those who are unaware, childhood and teenage basketball is very exploitive, like uh, college basketball is, um, I kind of saw it at an early age, but due to the environment and due to the financial, I guess you want to say resources, your parents, I came to reality that I needed something to go to college and get out of the neighborhood that I wasn't. And at the time, I felt basketball was the best means to do it. So I really doubled down on that and just tried to get as good as I can. And it worked. You know, I was able to get a full scholarship to play uh, Division One basketball here in the States, which is the highest level of uh, college basketball. So, um, but that was basically, to tell you the truth, <clears throat> you know, I just saw an opportunity. And um, I was fortunate to have a... a a level of discipline most children don't have or teenagers don't have. So I give thanks for that. That was able to focus on the task and uh, work with all the ups and downs and turnarounds that come with when you're trying to pursue a goal, you know. Please tell us more about your experiences in the world of basketball and tell us more about your journey and how it progressed and where it is now. I played college for four years after graduating college. Uh, I didn't play like... I was playing a little bit here and there, but I don't play anymore. I shoot around. I still work out and stuff, but in regards to like basketball, it's since I shot this time. But um, no, that's pretty much it. Uh, in regards to replacing it now, I will say there uh, numerous things that I do that the same discipline I had towards basketball, I've put it into other things. Uh, I never knew TV is one of them. So <clears throat> um, just that, uh, you know, it's a different type of c competition. You're not competing against like a team now is more uh, competing against yourself in regards to uh, new heights you can go, improving at your craft and, and, you know, little accomplishments you set for yourself. So I guess it's a continuation in regards to the determination and that 
consistency, like uh, I used to work out every day for basketball, but now I work on my craft on specific, specific things where I work on specific projects every day. So I think that would be the continuation in regards to the discipline and the scheduling and the effort I put in. So instead of running up and down the court, I'll work on a different task or work towards a different goal consistently. Before we move on to your next selection, is there anything that you'd like to share with the listeners that might they might not be aware of about the world of basketball? Um, like you've told us that you you know you grew up within that world. Uh, is there any advice, anything that um, you'd like young people to be aware of within the basketball world that may you know help them along their own journey? Um, I would. Uh, the basketball itself is not bad. It's how you approach it. I think when you use it, you have to use it more than it, it, it uses you. And I think most people allow it to use them more than they use it. So um, I would just be very aware when you get into it. Um, be protective of your body because you only have one body. So don't go destroying your body for the short-term glory. And uh, if you are going to do it, do <clears throat> if you are going to do it, really do it. And if you get in a situation where you're being, your schooling is free from it, obviously take care of the schooling, uh, network with people, meet people, but don't uh, be on this vibe where it's like, you know, uh, you're just trying to play sports because uh, the lifespan of an athlete is extremely short, whether college or uh, professional, you know, and uh, you definitely need skills when you go out into the real world to survive and take care of yourself and take care of your family if you have one. So your next selection is Cultural Roots, Busman. Please tell us why you chose this selection. Massive tune. All right, Cultural Roots, that tune there was courted by Donovan Germain, owner of Penthouse in his earlier years when he first got into reggae music. Um, classic, classic tune there. It captures the essence of wage disparity across the world. Um, <laughs> if you listen to the lyrics, they just say, if I this thing not enough, it can't work, you know, and, and unfortunately, uh, in many societies, is that, uh, regardless of the skills, because people always say unskilled labor, but a lot of times people have skills, but the way it's set, it's like they just don't make enough. They generally don't make enough, you know, and, and depending on what country you are, this is a big thing in Jamaica, people work and they don't get paid. And this is a legal thing, like they just don't get paid. You're supposed to get paid every two weeks, you get paid every month. And they just disregard you surviving as a human being. And I think they capture the essence of that experience of hundreds of millions of people across the world in this song called Boss Man. Here we go with Cultural Roots, Boss Man.
tell us of your influences and inspirations when you were growing up, just before you started, um, you know, I Never Knew TV and everything that followed from there. So who influenced you and who inspired you? All right. Who inspired me as a young youngster? I would definitely say, I know this sounds cliche, but I really say Bob Marley. The reason being, I used to really listen to Bob Marley all day. Uh, Rasta Man Vibration album, Naughty Dread album, Legend album, like, and Talking Blues. <laughs> Talking Blues tape also. I used to listen to that all day. And, um, yeah, Bob Marley. Um, another influence that I had was, uh, <laughs> it was a, this is random, but it is an influence, right? There was a dude called Joe Dumars that played for the Pistons, number four. He's a random player, but he's another person I like really idolize. So they're like the main two people I really idolized in regards to like growing up. It was weird because I grew up in a hip hop culture, and I was like listening to Bob Marley. So I was like always the oddball. I did listen to hip hop too, don't get me wrong, but I was always blasting my records, and I remember always be chastised for it. Because um, well, was it like you know, wasn't anybody listening to reggae music at that time? So, what was it that in, that influenced you or inspired you about that player? Tell us a little bit more about that. All right, Joe Dumars. Now he played for the Pistons, and um, he wasn't the tallest guy. That's the reason I wore number four. I wore number four before Joe Dumars. Um, this dude was a tough defensive player. Um, he was a great shooter. He was good on offense too, but I was just so impressed with his defense. I was so impressed with uh, he's one that used to give Michael Jordan a lot of problems, and I was just in, always impressed at how like it seemed like many people were scared to compete against Michael Jordan, and like this man really used to go out there and, and give it to him. And I always felt like if I could do that, I'll be able to be a decent basketball player. In regards to his basketball, tricky sometimes. Yeah, well, at least for me, I can't talk about the next man. But every day the offense not clicking. You know, some days off is there, some days is not there. Or, but regardless, I'm nervous or not nervous. I can always just be a, a very tough defender. So that's why I kind of patent my game at where I could just go out and just outwork everybody and play hard. If the shot not going in, I could just assist my team and play defense and give them some motivation. So, and I got that from Joe Dumars. So moving on to your new works, your transition to. I Never Knew TV. Tell us about how that started and which was first, um, the radio or the TV? All right, I Never Knew TV was first, but before I even had, I had a thing called Liberty.info, it was just articles, right? Same, the same type of reasoning that I Never Knew TV, but it was written articles. But then I noticed people wasn't really reading like that. And the people who were reading it was already just kind of like, exposed to that information already and i just want to reach a whole different group of people so um i was like man i gotta get on this video thing <clears throat> and i don't know it. i didn't know anything about video you know in life you want to do something but you don't know how to do it and you kind of fighting with yourself like how will i do it because i don't have any background in video like i didn't know anything about cameras or anything you know and um i was at rebel salute one time in jamaica the big festival with respect to my Cousins Julie B and, and, and Damien used to take me around. But I just saw like a bunch of Europeans and Asians taping the concert. And I saw, you know, what they put out. And I said, in my mind, I said, one, I could put out better information than that. And there are so much more aspects of the culture to be documented. And uh, I just tried it. My buddy, Girl Ann, worked at the NBA. 
I still does work at the NBA, and I asked him if he could help me with the camera, and he did, and we just started doing interviews, and that's how it started. And how did it evolve? How did it, because as with most creative things, they obviously start with the seed, they start with that initial thought, like you said, and then the more that you go with that seed or the more that you water that seed, things kind of come about that maybe you didn't think about and it kind of takes on a life of its own. So what happened after that? Yeah, so initially, um, well, let me back up still. Before we even got to the Dynamic TV, years ago, I had an idea of having a, um, I don't, I'm not sure if you have this in the UK, but we have local access channels. So you have like the main stations and you have a local access channel you could buy time on. I had an idea of doing a reggae show that was influenced by a thing called Rockers TV. And I have interviews like from 2008, Queen Africa, Uroy, Tony Rebel, and Eddie Fitzroy. Then just life and work came and I put that on the side. <clears throat> but when I started back up with the I Never Knew TV, um, initially I wanted to do reggae artists but then, like, when it's like, it's always been on social commentary. I'm a teacher still, you know, I teach. So I was like, all right, when the thing started to build up and get a little audience, I said, man, let's get the people some social commentary. And, uh, you know, we just started getting people on there, like some Rastafari uh, elders, like Profi and them. I went to capture some Rastafari history and get some, some reasons. Reason, cause I, the idea I had was basically like, give people access to something they never had access to. So you know how they talk about sitting at the foot of the elder. That's why I tape it like that. That's why it's like I'm not on camera. So the person speaking is the focal point. So, you know what I'm saying? You don't know these people or you can't fight in Jamaica, but you could be within that realm to get a reasoning that you want to get in the other way. And that's why we interview the doctors and all these people and all these great intellectuals because, and, and the reason that they give on our, I think it's much different than if they're on a different platform speak about something else. So that's kind of like, that's the, the, the growth. It started with just interviewing where I wanted to document reggae. Well, when I got the audience, I was like, from from people watching it, you know what I'm saying? Let me give them some brain food. And that's how it evolved to like interviewing all these other people. Can you remember who was your first ever interviewee? <laughs> yeah, first ever interview I ever did was with... Uh, for the first stage or the second stage, the first stage with the local access or the never new TV. We'll take one from each. Um, the first one I ever did was, I think Queen Africa, the first person I ever interviewed in, in 2008. And right? what was that like? Because obviously you're fresh to this and, you know, she's... It was a vibe, so it was a vibe, like... You know, it's funny. You know how she come off militant? She's like one of the nicest people I've ever met in this whole reggae thing. You know, she's Irish still. She have a nice spirit to her. She was cool. Just an Irish, nice reasoning, you know. Um, it was cool. And the first one now, when we restarted now with the, the I Never Knew TV concept was Raging Fire. They're not together anymore, but um, they were in New York. That was the first one I did, Raging Fire. And what was that like? It was a vibe still, you know, like... You know, the whole BS, like, you start and then you got to wait. You know, you hit me with the, I guess, it's the, well, we're not even them, but the manager, I guess, is like, you know, you don't have no names. So it's kind of almost like a, a little ego trip or something. I don't know. We basically had to wait for the reason of time for the interview and whatever. But um, it was cool. It was a nice reason. Still. And what would you say you find most difficult at the start of, like you said um, earlier on, like figuring out, 
you know, it's not just it, you've got the concept, but then you've got to figure out the certain logistics. You obviously are dealing with different people and their different ways and and things like that. And obviously, like you said, you haven't had the experience of the camera work. So how? What was the most me, difficult? Um, for me, the most difficult thing was everything. As I said, uh, <laughs> you got to laugh. I'll tell you the part. So check it. The um, obviously getting access to the artists because it's like a really a it's like really a closed wall. Like if you're not in the industry, you're not respected, and you're not established, or you don't have no link, or somebody paying for something, it's borderline impossible to get into. I'm just gonna put that out there for now, right? So actually uh, gaining credibility and getting interviews was extremely difficult. Then consistently getting interviews was the next problem, you know, because the people that have been following for those times, I used to post like once a month because I just wasn't getting interviews, you know. Um, uh, the whole editing process was very um, difficult, like learning the editing program. Um, social media was extremely difficult and discouraging like just the whole hash it was just a different language like because i wasn't on social media prior so like learning hashtag and the at and just how it operates i don't know why I, I found it very difficult like people people think i'm telling uh, i found like that's probably one of the most difficult things like learning how to use social media you know like messages and tagging people and all this craziness like it was extremely difficult for me to learn so obviously you overcame, you know, the more technical side over time and with experience. How did you manage to overcome that first hurdle of, of having access to those artists? Because like you said, if if you don't have a link, how do you get through the door? What? How did you overcome that? Um, all right. So I did have some links to start with. So Jeff Sarge, he's a legendary uh, reggae broadcaster here in New York, New Jersey, right? So he gave me a link direct for like... Um, like Fred Locks, uh, Max Romeo, like some elder. This is the thing, though. Like, remember, that a lot of people not gonna watch that type of interview. But I had something to start with. Then I had a next family friend, one old time stepper from those times, Father Lutz. He linked me up with like Big U, Earl Dunkley, Kim Booth, right? So, a Santa Davis, the drummer, Peter Tosh drummer. So when I had that. But before I even got to Santa Davis now, it's like, I don't know, man. I just, I, I had that as a base, right? I still had a link with Tony Rebel. Tony Rebel, the one linked me up with Buddha. Just people really just put me on the people, you know? I'm an Irie Bridgen still, and people just show love because Tony Rebel, the one linked me up with Muda Baruka initially. There's a Bridgen called I Nation that sells books. Chronic speak about them. And um, what's the tune you have there? Yeah, when tune on his album, he makes your eye nation. But um, he the one that linked me up with Profile. But I met I Nation at Rebel Salute because he sold books and I was buying books and we just started reasoning and we kept the link. And when I started the thing, he the one linked me up with Profile. So that's how I really worked. It was just links, like it's just links. You just keep, you know, uh, trying and trying and trying. You know? <coughs> So it sounds like a combination of determination and your work speaking for themselves because somebody yeah, would do an interview, yes, said you yeah, were great yeah. and would pass you on. Yeah, yeah. Love yeah, so that. the interviews now kind of kick the interviews I was doing because I remember like a reggae geek historian from a long time. So I know a lot about it. And 
that kind of that, that the type of into at least I had a reference. You know, when you call somebody, you know how I go already. You call somebody, it's like at least you got a reference to say you're not interviewed such and such. So it's like all right, at least he interviewed somebody. That's a start. So it got a little easier. But, but then now, <laughs> truthfully, um, you know, uh, people like the vibe is like a hype thing. The more people started calling. Then like I end up getting Sisla, and I'm getting Luciana, and I'm getting Chronics in them, Muda Brooker reasonings. And after that, now it's like you know, it's just everybody reaches out now, and people they're the ones calling to be on it now, you know. I love that. I love that. That's yeah, so, that's, so that's amazing. <laughs> we are gonna move on to your next selection, which is Bob Marley, Crazy Baldheads. Why did you choose this selection? Poetry on its heights. You know, <laughs> his ability to, to convey a, a message using simple words on a crazy baseline is um, is mind-blowing to me. Baseline kick. Anytime you play that baseline anywhere. For even people who don't know Bob Marley, don't listen to reggae music, they're captivated by it. And the lyrics are universal. Um, uh, because in reggae, sometimes, sometimes they go too deep into the patois or it's too... Jamaican in regards to reference and international people don't pick it up what what Bob Marley is saying is universal and people can relate you know build your universities, build your schools brainwash education to make us the fools hatred you reward for our love telling us of your God above you know so it's just a universal sound and to kick I believe you play that tune anywhere and show the place here we go with Bob Marley Crazy Ballets them crazy them crazy we're gonna chase those crazy ballets out of town chase those crazy ballets out of a town a high and i build the cabin subjects that always seem to run through all of your interviews so no matter who you might be interviewing are there three common threads that seem to run through the interviews no not really because we kind of have different type of people so i can't really say there's a common thread in regards to like i guess uh i guess speaking against social injustice i would say that's a universal common theme I guess in like 95% of the interviews or less, it's just about music. But people who are not musicians, uh, definitely everyone speaks about social injustice. <coughs> um, that's like the only common theme. 
you know, because some people go in there and speak about food, some people talk about spirituality, I can talk about economics, you know, um, or whatever their uh, specific specialty is. So, but yeah, social social injustice seems to be the theme. That's the that's the uh, you know that's the that's the focal point of the platform. Can you tell us about any interviews that you find the most challenging and why you find them challenging? You mean challenging in regards to interviewing the person or to actually get the interview? Um, either. So it could be challenging with the person that you're interviewing. It could be like the logistics of the situation. It, be, it could be um, organizing the interview. It could be the equipment. Um, <laughs> I got all that. Go, tell us, tell us. Um, I don't know if you noticed, but the whole chronics interview is out of focus. I'm not sure if people even noticed that because um, it was a little ass. It was a little room. He was when I interviewed chronics, he was touring with um Nas and Lauren Hill. And Chronics of Harry Benjamin still too, by the way, because he did that interview right before he performed, and most people don't want to do that. But that whole he, he spoke for like an hour, like literally right before his performance. I respect him for that. But um, it was it was like a, a waiting room, like a <coughs> uh, uh, dressing room, and they was in there. They was in there beating the chalice, and like the room was so smoky, man. It's just like I couldn't. I don't know. I just what I looked at it later, like the whole thing's out of focus. So uh, that uh, a bunch of things with different audio network and um, it's just anything you do a bunch of stuff a bunch of times you're gonna have problems um, difficult interview to get I don't know interviews on a whole difficult to get so I don't know um, what about in terms of the actual inter- the person that you're interviewing is that have you had any um, interviews that they've just been like one word answers and things it's been quite difficult or yeah, you get that all yeah, you get that done you know, vibes um, first interview with Sizzler it took him like 45 minutes to warm up you know that was odd um, Barrington Levy I was supposed to I was I was uh, I was setting up the interview first of all I've been trying to get this man forever he was in New York I was the camera was set up we mic'd him and I'm like yes you know we finally get it this man getting a fight with his manager and just storm off and leave the room. Oh wow! Yeah, that's up. Um, well, this was the air one. Uh, I don't know. Like, I don't know. I kind of one of my skills is getting people to warm up and open up. But the person that took like the longest the first time, I think, was Sizzla, where it's like a one word answer uh, for me personally. You know, um, who else? Right, I was pretty cool, chill, take the truth, man. Like, I really had great experiences doing these interviews. Um, as of lately, I don't do them now because I have people who do them for me so rarely. I actually do in-person interviews. I do them on the phone or something. But, um, yeah, they've been pretty great experiences. Everybody's been pretty chill and open. Um, I'll say one of the coolest people I've met for, because, uh, you know, like, these artists have these egos. Like, I do think they mean to have it i think they just feel like they don't have it in private but like when they're in public they have to put on this i'm an artist vibe and i was very impressed there's a dude called jay bug like a samoan reggae artist 
And there's another guy called Sammy Johnson from New Zealand. He's a singer. He's a, he's a great singer, by the way. And I was just impressed with their humbleness, bro. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, these dudes are just real, a different culture than the Jamaican artists. They're very cool and humble, you know? And very, like, I was just impressed. Like, you know, you want to know that they're the artists, the way they treat you. So you mentioned that your warm-up time. What would you pride yourself on saying is your average warm-up time? So if, if thing, you know, people need to warm up in the interview, you said Sizzler was 45 minutes. So what, what have you um, whittled, whittled it down to in terms of your average warm-up time, uh, would right. you say? So I'll, anyone listening, I could tell you the tactics that I use that season. First of all, I'm, I'm, a, I'm not a small person. I think that, like, play, I have to just be truthful. I'm not a small human. I'm 6'2", and I'm a, like, I work out, right? So maybe my demeanor, I'm a serious-looking person. So maybe that weeds out a lot of BS another person would uh, uh, deal with. The Sizzler situation was different now. Sizzler, we're in a house with, like, a lot of his friends and comrades around. So you already know that heightens that artist's ego. So definitely, whenever you're doing an interview with someone, you don't want them around the entourage. That's the first thing, right? To kind of calm them down a, a little bit. You don't want the entourage around. If possible, if you have time, I would stay away from interviewing people like when they're on tour, you know what I'm saying, at events and all that. Do the extra effort to interview them in the comfort of their hotel room or their home. It's best just to wait. If you have the, the finances to fly out, it'll be worth it. Or just do a phone interview. <clears throat> stay away from the, 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 the concert thing. You got to be realistic. This person just worked. Before concerts is a no-go, artists are very uh, nervous and miserable prior to working. After concerts, they're tired, unless you build up a relationship with them where it's like they're cool. Um, also, uh, yeah, I would des- I definitely want to get them on a one-away and if possible to talk to them before and kind of just get them comfortable and just to see what you're about. Um, it would help. Also, I, I, I constantly share my work with artists and like people in the industry. I figured that out earlier on WhatsApp. Like I built up this WhatsApp thing, and uh, they constantly see your work. They see the quality of your work. <clears throat> you know, they see that they can open up to you, and you won't put out anything that makes them look crazy or put them in some mix-up or you know try to like uh, assassinate their character. So I think that's also too. So you can't do like mix up stuff and expect to get close to somebody to share stuff with you. So you can't really have a gossip column and expect the person to open up to you because they know already that whatever they they share with you because as they get comfortable, the interview turns into a conversation. And just because it's recorded, it doesn't mean it's supposed to be shared with the public. I have hundreds and hundreds of hours of footage of people saying stuff that I guess they just put their guard down, but it would never be shared with the public because it shouldn't be shared with the public. Because at that point, it's just a conversation between you and that person. And it's nothing that should be shared to the public. I think by doing that, hey, I want to tell you this too. And the artists can tell you this. I got enough artists on that camera saying crazy stuff. Like, I mean, where their career would be over the second anyone saw it. And I never put it out there. So that type of vibe really gives you respect amongst the two, you know? So I know this is going to be a very difficult question for you to answer because I'm sure you have a lot of, um, you know, favourites. 
Um, but could you tell us your top five guests and why? Can't really do that one. <laughs> top five, I guess. I don't know. Um, the top five guests name what people think. Like I tell you, the first one is Earl Kenneth Smith, the great guitar player. Reason being, he I do interviews. And the whole story behind that. Anybody know Earl Jones? Man, don't do no interviews. Or if you do, it's like promoting the album. But he don't really like talking about himself for the past. Um, and for that one, you see, he wasn't mic'd up. I was there at his place at the end of the yard. Um, I asked to do an interview. Initially, when I went, he declined. And I was just hanging out, whatever. I was there. So I was like, I just chill. And we started talking. So I asked him, could I turn the camera on? And he said, yeah. And that's how I ended up getting the footage. But you see, he's not mic'd up. I'm just using the Zoom. So that one's like my my favorite one. And everyone always asks me, how did I get this man on camera? You know, because everybody that knows him knows it's uh, a rare occurrence. Um, there's a dude called Dr. Jermaine McAlpin. He's a professor at the College of New Jersey. Um, a lot of people probably haven't watched the interview, but he's just a brilliant, like a real brilliant treasure. <laughs> to mankind, this man is so brilliant. I'm so impressed with his intellect, so. I always enjoy reasoning with him. Um, <clears throat> Muda Baruka. Uh, Muda Baruka is the reason I stopped eating meat and drinking. So to have him on there is like kind of crazy to me. You know, like the person that inspires you to do something that changed your life, then to have him on your thing consistently is still something I haven't like fully processed in my mind, you know. Um, and I guess you can ask me anyway. So the story basically is this. And Muda Baruka did an interview years ago for a new Carter Van Pelt. He was breaking down why he doesn't drink and eat meat. And the thing made so much sense. That's what started me on my journey of not eating meat, ain't drinking, stop drinking. It's directly because of Muda Baruka. Then to have him on it consistently now, so you can see how that would have a vibe, you know. Luciano, right? Big Luciano fan. So that was like, you know, that was like, uh, <laughs> you probably can hear the excitement in my voice when I did that interview. That was like a super dope experience for me. Uh, to interview Luciano. So uh, those are the three. Earl Jenna Smith, uh, Dr. McAlpin, having Muda Baruka consistently, well, to do an interview with him, to have classic interviews with him and have him consistently as a guest on INLU TV and Luciano. There are more. So I apologize if I left out anybody, but, you know, um, there are a bunch, man, regular legends. You know, uh, Horace Mouth, um, Leroy Sibbles, Sizzla, um, Richie Spice, artists you really rate is a joy to really interview, you know, um, all of them. All of them. It's kind of cool, you know. Right, speaking of reggae music, we're going to move on to another one of your selections, The Melodians, Sweet Sensation. Tell us about this selection. That tune here now is, um, <laughs> I saw this man, Mighty Brent Dow and Trevor in New Rochelle. I don't know if I was in high school or what, but I never saw nobody shell a place like this. Like, I never saw a whole club singing songs. So, they, they were singing Sweet Sense. It was one of the greatest performances I ever saw. And I've been to a lot of radio but I've never seen no performance like this. So, um, but yeah, that's why Sweet Sensation. Like, yeah, I'm not sure. Have you been to a venue where every, all the bartender was singing? Have you been where every single person in the place was singing the song? So that was that was the experience there with uh, the Melodians. I never saw anybody do that. Here we go with the Melodians, sweet sensation. Mm-hmm. 
Genesis of the Boldhead and the Dread podcast. Well, you probably heard the story since you spoke to my partner, Peter, when I touched you. So um, <clears throat> I met our touch years ago and we just clicked. Then we used to reason, right? So we said, yo, as a joke, we was like, man, why don't we take the reason, like talk on the phone, like just check in and just talk about life. So it's like, yo, why don't we record the thing, right? And just put it on the line. So I was like, whatever, so let's do it, right? So we started recording the conversations. Then, you know, people was just confused, like, what is this, a podcast? What are y'all doing? Gotta get sure y'all face. So we just started recording it, and we needed the name. So I have a ball head, and you have the dreads. So we just said ball head and the dread, you know? And that's how it started. It, it really started as, like, us just chilling, talking on the phone. And we was like, yo, these reasons are all right, so might as well just share them with people. So can you tell us more about how you both met? Because obviously, like you said, you got into reasoning, but what, how, how did you guys meet? Um, there's an artist called um, um, Fire the Future. They used to be like in a crew together called, um, I forgot the name of their crew, real, um, How Clear, no something. But anyway, the manager for Fire he said, yo, if you could give us his brethren a strength, our Tarchi, or artist, the place we used to hang out at, um, Chef Mikey there, Idol Kitchen. And uh, I did an interview. We did one acoustic thing with him. And I don't know how we stayed in touch, to tell you the truth, y'all. I can't lie to you, but somehow we stayed in touch. <clears throat> we used to check it all the time. And um, I don't know, we just stayed in touch. <laughs> you know, I'll. Uh, you know, we talk is weird. Like, I'm not a man too. I have like a little close circle of people I already deal with nobody else. But, um, yeah, we just stayed in touch and we was reasoning. And then he's like, man, why don't we just put it online? I had the channel already, you know, so as people are listening to it, people was listening to it. You know, we put a little topic up there and just talk. And people was listening to it. And well, then, you know, we just put a slap the name on it and turn it into a full podcast. Speaking of the different topics that you discuss on the show, what would you say have been the most controversial topics that you've discussed? 
I don't know, because I don't know, because I don't know. These topics seem like regular topics to me, but it seems to be riling up people's feathers, you know? So I don't know. I don't know. I really can't say. Because you listen to it, right? So I wouldn't even be a person. I don't see now we talk about as controversial, but people kind of get offended. And I don't know if it's offended or what, but it's just truth at the end of the day. You're not saying nothing that's not like part of the everyday life or something. I guess to say something people are scared to say. I guess, yeah, that's why I guess the controversy part, but I couldn't tell you, tell you the truth, yeah, because I don't know. You know, but people definitely are offended by it. I tell you that much. Offended by like what what would you say in terms of um the podcast shows that you've done which have had the most comments? Um I would have to check, man. Some of them topics like uh Or started off the you know, the most discussions between people about the actual podcast. <laughs> to go back and look to the truth. I can't really see it on my brain. But I know um the <laughs> the Muda Baruka one. Um I think somebody was on there one time about Celestia and I died or something. One of that got the people riled up. Uh, um I can't lie to you girl, because Hey, you see, after like whatever we do, I just move on to the next thing. I don't really look at the, um, like, I need to get better at that too. Like, I do notice I probably need to like go through the comments and all, but I'm not going to lie to you. You could tell too, like, because I, there's no interaction with me and the people in the comments. That's something I probably need to get better at or get somebody to do it for me. But I just really move on to the next thing after uh, we, we put up whatever. I can't lie to you. Okay. I'm talking about like people calling my phone and emails because artists are very offended by the things we speak about. I say that. <laughs> ah, here we go. The one that we did, we, we did one podcast was basically speaking about like um, our, our reggae artists like tarnishing the image of Rastafari. That one, I don't know about no comments, but in regards to people calling my phone and messages from artists and all that, that one got the most people riled up to you the truth because. If it don't apply to you, I guess it wouldn't bother you, right? So I guess the fact that it, it roughly your feathers, I guess it must apply to you. So that won't, but yeah, from artists and people in the industry. I don't know about no comments, but from artists and people in the industry, that one got the most response. And did that affect anything to do with like um, any of your bookings or anything like that? How, what, how big of an impact was that for you? No, I don't really... <laughs> I gotta tell you, we did an interview with Dr. Andre Houghton. That interview was on the front of the Gleaner in Jamaica. It said uh, Professor Dr. Houghton was on uh, international podcast because he was speaking about uh, his experience uh, running in po- uh, politics there. Yeah, that episode, they, they referenced that episode, what he said, or quoted what he said in our episode on the front page of the Gleaner. So I guess that would be the most controversial one because it made it on the front page of Jamaica newspaper. I forgot about that one. Yeah, that that one would be the most controversial one. Because he was just speaking about his experience uh, running for a position in Jamaica government and the amount of corruption he experienced. And, you know, he just shared his experience. And I guess one of the writers or somebody heard about it and they wrote an article on it. It was on the front page of the Gleaner. I had the, I had the paper here announced. Now, would you say that the past two years have affected your content in any way? 
Oh, no, it actually helped tell you the truth, yeah. It actually helped because more people, like, more people that we would interview is easy to access because people are not traveling. It's very hard to get these people when they are on tour. It's extremely hard to get these people. Then when you get them, as I said before, it's like, it's hard to get them when they're home. I could get them when they're on the road, but I know the interview not going to be as good. There are only a handful of people that gave a real good interview, like, after a show or when they were on tour. Like, Chronix is one of them. Maxi Priest, um, uh, somewhat Janine, uh, but everybody else is more like when they were not on the road. Because I tried it before and it's not. Because you got to figure they do all 10, 5, 10 interviews a day. You get what I'm saying? So even if you come with different questions, they don't want to talk to me. They're tired. They're human beings. People forget artists are human beings and they're tired. You know, so you're not going to get the same level of interview when they're on tour. But no, it's helped tremendously because it's been so much easier to access people because everybody been locked down. You know, so it's actually been very beneficial in regards to what I do. So your next selection is Norris Man Persistence. Can you tell us why you chose this selection? All right. Norris Man Persistence, right? You talk about ball hit in the grid. That's one of far right favorites tunes too. I'm not sure if he played that while um or he mentioned that during his interview, but persistence. True we deal with the thing with discipline and persistence. You can't go wrong. And you know, that's like the essence of my being. Um I'm a very, 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 very persistent person and I, I can really deal with setbacks. You know, I've had tremendous setbacks uh throughout my life and I'm pretty sure I have many more. Uh, tremendous setbacks throughout my life, right? But um, I'm able to bounce back and navigate through them. So that one just captured me, persistence. You know, we need more persistence and discipline in your life and militancy and focus. Mm-hmm. So persistence by Norris Man would be like a theme song. Yeah, oh yeah. Yeah, what? Persistence is to try throughout this precious time. You can't give up the fighter. Just is the way to life. All when you don't and in this choice. Never met Babylon, no you weak no is All when you burn is the heaviest Never met them, no We say persistence is to try Throughout this precious time You can't give up the fight Just is the way to life All when you down and in this choice Never met Babylon, no you weak no is All when you burn is the heaviest Never met them, no We say them system are fraud Struggles it not easy, don't add up to your heart We not go sell out this world, we get no round of a blast Positive movement, not a negative thoughts Tell them clean in a them heart Things what they do, is not what we do Things what they say, is not what we say Things what they preach, is not what we preach We still just Trinity, some take the mark and the peace Persistence is to try, throughout this precious time You can't give up the fight, just is the way to life All when you don't and in this Never met Babylon, no you weak no is All when your burden is the heaviest Never let them know Come It takes persistence to put through your world Firm up yourself, seek salvation first If just say a blessing, no Eden, if you say curse Renegade one female shall be heard From the knowledge that you have gained from your guests and from your own research, what do you believe are the five central pillars in order to uplift our community? Um, 
was a very hard question, right? So I'll answer it to the best of my ability. The first thing for our community, the very first thing people have to do is have knowledge of self. I know it's like a cliche when I say it, but you really have to know the greatness that you come from. And just and just and it's not like uh, black superiority or anything. It's just knowing that you come from a great heritage. Uh, powers that be have done a great job starting our culture or focusing on slavery, but it's just a part of the history. You know, you had Europeans that went through slavery. I don't see anyone highlighting that or focusing on that or saying that the ancestors are slaves. If you've been on Earth for a while, I'm pretty sure you're going to be enslaved at some point, right? Uh, so uh, really understanding the greatness that you come from. Um, what's another one? I think that we need to be more strategic on who we procreate with or when we procreate I think that's a big issue I think people should hold off on parenthood and uh, like really purposely uh, avoid getting pregnant or making someone pregnant so they could build themselves up and when they do have children that they're able to be a parent that provides not only the basic necessities in life but nurture the finances, the guidance, the example that the kids need because the biggest thing we have right now we're in a parenting crisis we just don't have parents here people could I teach so I'm around teenagers all day <clears throat> you could curse and complain about the kids all day but when you really analyze it they just suffer from lack of parents they don't have people are always chastising kids for what they don't do but in essence they were never really taught to do it and they never saw the example of it being done and you really have a situation where children are generally raising themselves or they're being raised by the media or social media, Instagram or TikTok or video games or whatever. So it's like a this is like an unjustified criticism. They're criticizing someone that's never really gotten what they need to perform in a way that's beneficial to them. You know, knowledge itself. I guess you would call it family planning. Uh, we have to get a better understanding of finances, uh, financial literacy. Um, know the difference between needs and wants. Uh, get comfortable with investing, understanding investing, being patient with investing, understanding the purpose of money, um, having delayed gratification when it comes to our spending. Uh, another aspect is that um, health, uh, both physical and mental health, that's another form of education. Again, uh, I know many people who criticize people with this and that, but they generally don't know uh, what to do. They haven't been exposed to the healthy lifestyle. Um, I believe the, the reason I think the food thing is so important because if you can have some control over your stomach, you can have control over most aspects of your life. You know, and the eating thing for me, I'm not no, um, I'm not like no animal lover. And, you know, and, uh, obviously, I don't want to see animals abused. Anything. I'm not, I'm not, I don't eat this way for like animals, right? The way I eat is actually a form of rebellion and a form of discipline. So <clears throat> that's the main reason. I don't eat meat and I don't eat dairy. <laughs> it's the discipline that comes with it. And it's a, it's a, it's a daily act of rebellion that I'm not going to eat the stag diet, the standard American stag diet, they call it standard American diet. So the food is one thing. Um, and just like, 
don't know, uh, discipline, having more discipline in yourself. I don't know, we just, it's a lot of, that's what I'm saying, it's a complicated question, you know? But uh, I think definitely the <laughs> knowledge itself is very important, being a life student. Um, getting, the, getting your body and your mental health in order. <clears throat> uh, re reviewing how we deal with family and this whole uh, procreation thing, and um, I don't know, just uh, just pursuing your goals. I know, like, it's a big a lot of people out here. It's scary, but I don't know, like, the remedy for that one. I don't know if that's a collective thing, but I think those things there, you know, uh, will help. So can you tell us what your plans are for the rest of 2022 with all of your works? Yeah, in regards to things that we're doing, make sure to check out the Generation Gap Rhythm that's available on all streaming platforms and videos there. Uh, I never do TV now. Uh, you have artists on there like Buddha Baruka, Aimer Tafari, Sun the Queen Africa, and uh, uh, Luton Fire, and... and our Tarchi, our part P, goes about it in the dread. Also, we have a show in Baltimore, Maryland. Anyone listening on the East Coast in America, Chant Down Baltimore Benefit Concert for the Homeless in Baltimore, starring Freddie McGregor, Ibamar, Our Tarchi, a regular legend Jerry Harris, and Profi will be there chanting Nyambingi. <clears throat> and please look out for a documentary uh, we're working on. Well, it should be done by the end of the summer, hopefully. Um, Concrete Pillow, Homelessness Crisis in Baltimore. So those are the things we have in the pipeline for 2022. And can you also make our listeners aware of all of the links, any ways that they can view your works, get in touch with you? Obviously, we'll put them in the description as well, but if you could just make them aware of those as well now, that'd be great. Yeah, um, check us out. Everything is the same. I have a new TV, whether it's on YouTube, Instagram. We're on Facebook. We have a Twitter. I haven't been on there forever. So <laughs> uh, we, we have a TikTok thing. Uh, I think I'll put up two videos. I got to actually put something else up on there. But the main thing, I never knew TV.com to stay up to date on everything. So the YouTube channel. Sorry, the YouTube channel, I Never Knew TV, and the Instagram. Uh, those are the main things to catch us on, truth be told, you know. Right, now our final question before we hear your final selection is to honour the works of your parents. What aspects in your own life are important in continuing their legacy? Um... Um, I guess the, the greatest thing I could do is just keep doing what I'm doing, be a solid human being, be a progressive human being, you know, and just continue to uh, just do the things that I've been doing, you know, just kind of do what I'm doing, you know, I feel that. Um, I don't know. It's like, <laughs> it's like, I don't know, it's just like, uh, just continue to strive for excellence, you know, and just uh, be determined to uh, shock myself and shock others, you know, and just continue to grow and just do what we're doing. 
So your final selection is I Wayne Living in Love. Can you tell us why you chose this selection? All right. That tune here is a massive tune, by the way, on a hard times rhythm. The reason I selected that tune, I was at a Rebel Salute. Sometimes I used to burn herb to the truth. I was at a Rebel Salute. Uh, I think it was like 2013. And when this man, you can see it, I think it's online. Uh, not reggae, real long. What was the reggae one? Though? When this man came on stage, the ground was shaking. You know? That's how people was in there going greater. You know? I don't know if it was the weed. I probably was tripping, but it felt like the ground was shaking. Top performance that night. I ain't I've never seen nothing like this. You know? I've been to a lot of shows, bro. Like the place went berserk. And he had a little freestyle on there, and like literally the place was shaking. Towards it was a, a straight vibe. It was like a great, one of my greatest experiences, greatest moments I've experienced at a live radio concert. And that tune beat, tell you the truth. But that's why I put it up there. Well, thank you so much for sharing your journey, your stories, all of your experiences and your inspirations with all of us here at Reggae Uprising Podcast. We really appreciate your time. Thank you so, so much. No problem. Thank you for having me. I hope you've enjoyed this week's episode. If you would like to connect with this week's guest, all of the links are in the description. If you would like to connect with me, please get in touch via daniel.co.uk. That's D-A-N-I-E-A-L.co.uk. That link is also in the description. If you haven't already, please subscribe wherever you're listening to Reggae Uprising Podcasts. I hope you have a wonderful week. I'm going to leave you with the high vibrations of I Wayne living in love. As always, blessed love. I love to see my people living in love. I hate to see them fighting and swimming in blood. Love neglect the farming, scorning the mud. Yet they want to be the first to read the food as it bought. Some stuff we go for men